0: I had to sit off to the side so she couldn't see me. So she was looking at the webcam, um, and I couldn't touch her. I couldn't do anything. Um, and I had to listen to her get cross-examined by this lawyer. And it was, it, yeah, it it was tough because the, I didn't know how that process worked. I didn't know how cross-examination worked, but it was fucked. Mm. Like the questions he was asking and how he was asking, we had to stop four or five times because she couldn't keep going. Um, and I kind of came away from that day being like something's not right here. We shouldn't be getting here in the first place but the way we then handle this thing and, and sexual assault cases is, is not right.
1: Uh-huh. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today we're joined by Brandon Jack. Brandon is the first man to be interviewed on Shameless and his story is a fascinating one. Brandon grew up with a father, Gary, who was a star player and coach in the rugby league, along with brother Kieran, who served as captain of the Sydney Swans AFL club. Brandon gave professional sport a crack. He played alongside Kieran at Sydney from 2013 to 2017, but last year he gave the game away. He realised he did not want to be a sports star like his dad and brother. Actually, he wanted to be a writer, and a feminist writer at that. Now, Brandon is a columnist for the Sydney Morning Herald, where he writes about locker room culture, feminism and violence against women. We cover a lot in this chat, from watching the Adam Goods racism storyline unfurl in real time, to being your girlfriend's support person in a sexual assault case. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. Here's Brandon.
2: Brandon Jack, welcome to Shameless.
0: Thank you guys, thank you very much.
1: Do you know that you're literally the second <laughs> man we've had on this podcast? Am I? And the first one wasn't even really on the podcast, it was a... Conversation guest boyfriend. So, oh, wow.
0: You're our
2: first actual male subject. That's so humbling.
0: I'm so flattered. Thank you so much.
2: <laughs> we are very excited to have you. There was obviously a reason that we chose you first, and that is because we've been reading so much of your stuff. In the last few months, and so many people have been sharing your stuff in our Facebook group as well, mm. isn't that right, Mish? Yeah, massively.
0: I do have a lot of friends who are in the Facebook group, and I think you guys have mentioned me once or twice, and I get so many text messages from my <laughs> friends. So, um, yeah, I've been listening to you guys a lot lately, and I think what you you're doing. Thing. No, I, <laughs> I think what you guys are doing is great. So, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan myself.
1: All right, we start every In conversation episode with the same question, which is: Are you reading, watching, or listening to anything at the moment that you'd recommend to other people?
0: I am currently reading. Um, it's called I Might Regret This by Abby Jacobson who is the creator, writer, star of um, Broad City oh. uh, and it's 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 a memoir of sorts. She's just going across the country on this big kind of uh, car ride um, and it's just like you're sitting in the car with her the whole time. I find it really interesting. I'm not really watching anything because my Foxtel isn't working and I'm, (laughs) I'm streaming. So I kind of have Gilmore girls or the office on in the background at the moment. Um, But yeah, Abby Jacobson's book is uh, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. You obviously come from a huge sporting family. Do you watch a lot of sport?
0: Not anymore. It's pretty. Yeah. Like when, when I stopped playing football professionally, I didn't watch any games that year and my brother still plays. So he wouldn't be happy about that. (laughs) Um, But I was kind of over it and I, didn't, I don't know anyone's name in the AFL anymore. Really? I don't. I don't I, there's so many players. I'm like, I don't know who you guys are. Rugby league I haven't watched in almost a decade. So, yeah, it's uh, not really part of my life anymore.
1: Yeah. Is that because you just don't enjoy it anymore?
0: Um, I, I do enjoy it, but I'm busy doing other things, I think. And I'm aware that it's just a game and it brings a lot of joy to so many people, which is fantastic. But for me, there's other things that interest me.
2: What were you like as a kid? We obviously just touched on the fact you came from a pretty big sporting family. Sport was obviously everywhere. What mm. were you like growing up?
0: I was so quiet. I think I had um, family, like friends, who thought I couldn't talk until I was like 10 because I just would keep to myself. Uh, youngest of three boys, so like I got bashed around a lot. Like Wrestling was big in our house, so <laughs> my brothers would practice all the moves on me. Um, would play football every day, and I thought that the only thing I could do in life, the only thing I wanted to do was to play professional sport. Um, But, like, I I also knew as well that I was pretty smart. Like, from a young age, I was reading and writing and was always encouraged to do that. So I was was grateful that I wasn't just seen as a sports kid.
2: How did those two things marry then? Wanting to play professional sport but also being this really creative kid who wanted to write a lot? Because I think it's not as common in professional sporting, you know, arenas to let men do things like that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of athletes... Uh, And a lot of guys I know who I played footy with have interests outside of sport, Um, especially in that professional environment. You you don't have as much time to and you kind of don't want to focus on it because you want to prioritize football, uh, which is part of the reason why I I stopped playing because I wanted to focus on other things. But growing up, I, I always wanted to do both. I never wanted to be pigeonholed.
1: What was it about footy that appealed to you? Was it a massive part of your life when you were a teenager and maybe early 20s?
0: Yeah, obviously my my dad was a professional rugby league player. Um, My older brother, Kieran, plays for the Swans. So like anyone who looks up to the people in their life, you just think that, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm doing what they're going to do. Yeah, in hindsight, though, I didn't love football that much. Like I remember being at high school and praying for rain some days because I didn't want to go to training. And when we'd get that text message that the fields were closed, I was relieved. But... I did it because I thought it's what I was meant to do, and I still enjoyed part of it, but I wasn't fully into it.
2: I feel like that sounds such like I feel like that sounds incredibly common that idea of almost feeling pigeonholed into playing a sport as a as a young man because that's what you feel like you should be doing. and
1: probably as well feeling like it's your natural talent, clearly you mm. guys have something in your it. genetics. Mm. I should use this and because I'm good at it, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean I, I was good at it. I, I managed to play professionally and... I'm extremely grateful for the time I had playing. I I made good money for chasing a ball around a field. Like, how good's that? (laughs) I run around grass every day. But, yeah, like, it it always felt like I was going to play football and at times I didn't want to do that.
2: When you got to that professional standpoint, you know, you were playing for the Swans, you are on the Swans list, you were playing those games. Was it what you thought it was going to be?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... um, it's the best thing in the world for me back then was was running out in front of 45,000 people at the SCG like that's an incredible feeling but at the same time there's a lot of pressure and anxiety that comes with it and it's it's hard because it's such a a cool job but there's special and different anxieties that come with it and we're seeing a lot of players come forward now with mental health leave and um, I think it's really important that we talk about it that in itself it has its own stresses and anxieties as a job.
2: What were they for you?
0: My thing was always, I was so worried about what the fans kind of thought of me and and if I was doing my job for the team and, and if I wasn't playing for the senior team, then I was failing. I felt like I was really letting everyone down. I'd come off early in my career and check my phone straight away and see what the stats were and see how well I played and there's so many guys that do that.
1: It can yep. be brutal, right? I mean, there's forums yeah. that the fans have, and there's yeah. Facebook pages, and they go to fucking town. Yeah, and
0: and that's it's the fans. I guess they it's part of their life. It's so important to them, and yeah, you you, you get told to block it out. You know, don't go on Twitter, don't go on this. But we're all human. Like we're going to look at it. Yeah, I, having
1: a brother at another dimension in that you felt like there would be a comparison because Kieran was obviously captain at the time when you were playing, mm, right?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I've never I, I get asked this a lot, and like, oh, you're the brother of you're the son of. I've never felt pressure from that point of view. And I think it's... I I don't know why, but I can understand why people would think so. I look at Kieran and I'm so proud of what he's done and I never feel compared to him. I'm like, oh, it's an honour that you even mentioned me in the same sentence of him Mm -hmm. as a player. No, having a brother being so successful is always a a benefit for me.
1: I'm really interested in how... Being so young and being in football and also earning a lot of money might change people. What is that like to be so young and yet have probably a dollar amount in front of you in terms of a salary that some people in their 40s and 50s wouldn't be earning?
0: I uh, Yeah, I, I only had one job before I played football and I worked at Bunnings for like 15 bucks an hour or something. So yeah, when you come in and you're earning a lot of money as a young man and I was still on the on the kind of small end of the income, but still it's, it's a lot of money to be earning at that age. I took it for granted massively and I look back now and I'm like, shit, I wish I'd saved a bit more. Um,
1: how do you mean? Do you mean that you're just living too large?
0: Yeah, for sure. Like I'd, I'd go out on the weekends and, and buy people drinks stupidly and, and order shots at the bar for my friends and do all those things you see happen in movies because I thought, you know, I've got money, I can do this. Yeah, I, and I also think you don't develop an appreciation for for how hard some people work. And now I've seen coming out of football that, People work their whole careers to get to a certain point and it doesn't come easy. And to have it handed to you as an 18, 19-year-old, you kind of take it for granted a bit, I think.
1: Do you think it can be a slippery slope for some people that, like I know myself at 18, 19, I would have been far too stupid to deal with that kind of money. <laughs> I I <laughs> Probably still anyone. are. Yeah. Probably still, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I think you need to develop the appreciation for what you've done. And if if you come in and, and as footballers, you know, young, young men, like you're told how important you are and there are people put around you to look after you I think you kind of have to learn that that's not how the real world works because when you're out of there like a lot of guys then have to start at the bottom again at a a company they're working at or whatever and it's confronting for them but that's what people have been doing since the early 20s and you have to realize that's how the world works.
2: Do you think the money thing is a huge part of kind of the culture of maybe ego or masculinity or is that underselling it? Like if you pulled the money from the sporting code that those kind of lock that kind of locker room banter would still exist.
0: I'd say it still exists. I I know we didn't really use how much money a guy was making to create a pecking order because there's always pecking orders in male groups that get made. Um, it would have just been replaced with something else, like how many games someone's played, or this or that. Um,
2: how much sex he's having?
0: Yeah, like things. It's, well, that's it's true. It's, that's a pecking It order. is. It's it's things like that that men use to rank each other, and, and I've I've played a part in that, and I've I've been involved in conversations where it's used and the kind of currency, I guess. I'm doing air quotes so people know. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it. currency. It, it's common amongst groups.
2: I think there's something interesting that happens when you're a young boy in Australia. And maybe it's not even just an Australian thing, but when you're a young boy that's good at sport, I feel like it gives you this extra credence to, like, carry yourself in a certain way, and it's almost like a a one-way ticket, like... Go, pass, What is it? What's the Monopoly saying I'm trying to say? Go, <laughs> collect $200. Is why that what I, you're trying to say? Why do I ever try to say things on this podcast? But it, it does feel like a fast-tracked way to have some kind of credibility or to be able to carry yourself mm. in a certain way. Did you ever sense that or is that something that's come with hindsight? Particularly
1: at clubs. I feel like when you go to nightclubs and <laughs> you're like 18, there's always a footy club area <laughs> where it's just all the football players standing in one corner looking very tall and maybe a little bit arrogant
2: sometimes.
0: <laughs> oh. No, yeah, for sure. Like, I when I got drafted and when I played my first game, I I puffed my chest out a little bit more, and um, I think every player would say that. Like, you feel like you're more important because sport in Australia is is so big and it's something that so many people talk about. You feel relevant. Um, And I think it's dangerous at the same time as well. If you live in that bubble and think that, you know, that this is the ultimate thing in the world, then when that gets taken away from you or when it's not going well, then, yeah, everything kind of turns on its head.
1: What's the spotlight like? Because there was a period of time a few years ago when your family was a yeah. national news story. How did you feel during that time?
0: It, yeah, it, it's never fun when you wake up and on, on the back page of the paper is, you know, the, the thing that's happened in your family. And that had been going on for a while. Um, Kieran and I have become extremely close since it. I, I'm not going to go into what happened because I think that that wouldn't really benefit anyone. But I don't have a relationship with my parents now and it it sucks in a way, but... I've made the choice that it's better for me and better for Kieran and his wife, Charlotte, who's been incredible this whole time as well, to, to not have that relationship, which is, which is hard some days.
1: Do you guys still live together?
0: Uh, I don't live with Kieran anymore. I lived with him my first few years as a Swans player and I briefly moved in with him again, but he couldn't tolerate me. Anymore, <laughs> so, um, him and Charlotte kicked me out after a six-month stint. Uh, but, yeah, me and him, are, we're best mates and I think the whole thing's brought us a lot closer together.
2: What's it like having the sport taken from you? I mean, I, I'd be interested in to hear your perspective on how your career sort of came to an end, but there's a process, what, of being delisted. Is yep. that a two-way conversation or is that a one-way conversation?
0: It, it sounds like a, like a mutual breakup, yeah. I think. <laughs> like, um, I was done. I, with football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was done. I, I walked into... Well, that my whole last year, I knew I, I didn't want to play football anymore. I didn't want to go on away trips because I would have rather stayed at home and read a book or wrote or done anything else. But it was kind of like we all knew what was happening with me. And I walked into the meeting at the end of the year and, and Tom Harley and John Longmire were really, really positive in everything they said and what I'd done. And what and they're they, the coaches? Uh, Tom Harley is the head of the is the CEO now, but at the time he was head of football mm. uh, and John Longmire, horse, is the coach. Yeah, and it was very positive meeting and I said I'm done I don't want to do this anymore and they said yep we think you've done a lot for this club and wish me the best going forward
2: so as someone who didn't want to go on those away matches and who did probably just want to sit home and read and write and do other things what's it like being part of kind of like a stereotypical locker room culture was it a locker room culture what was that sporting club like
0: The, the Swans are I think the Swans are probably the best sporting culture in Australia and the world but it doesn't mean they're exempt from the same things that all most male circles are involved in. It doesn't matter whether it's a a high school group of boys, a locker room for footy or a a business. I work in the city and opposite my office is like this group of young guys in a startup and some of the stuff they talk about is just like, come on, grow up, it's boring. Yeah, I think all... A lot of male social circles kind of revolve around the same topics of conversation and the same trends. So yeah, it's always there.
1: You were around during the Adam Goods era, is that right? Yeah. What was that like to experience that from the inside? Obviously, uh, the final quarter only aired on public television last month. How was that for you watching it back? And what was it like from the inside of the club?
0: At the, I, I wrote about this, and at, at the time, I think we all kind of maybe took it for granted but we didn't know how much it was affecting adam because he was so strong and because of the person he is it it, it didn't show that much but i don't think we asked enough questions of him i don't think we asked how we could do more you know i sat in the final quarter and i felt like we'd let him down the new film they have uh the australian dream is coming out soon as well and i've seen the preview of that and it looks incredible too so i look up to adam in everything he's done and see him as, you know, when you stand for something, I, I reference Adam Goods.
1: You're obviously quite a progressive voice in sport media at the moment. How did it feel to watch some maybe not so progressive voices in that documentary who are probably still in the industry mm. today? Definitely still are. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of was like, I couldn't believe that it was actually happening. And being in Sydney, we didn't actually get any of that Melbourne media because they don't really care that much about (laughs) AFL up here comparatively. Swans are doing great and all, and so are the Giants, but it's not the same as it is down there. Yeah, you see stuff that like Sam Newman and Eddie Maguire said, and you're like, how the fuck do these guys have a job? And it's igniting this this thing within the community, and it's divisive what they're doing, and yeah, it made me sick.
2: You said before I don't think we asked him enough questions, and I wonder if that sort of you know, speaks to what it's like to be a young man at the moment where you kind of, I don't know if you feel this, but a lot of young men in their relationships don't feel like they can talk about anything and they kind of don't ask those questions. Mm. You take your friends and their feelings at face value. Did you feel like that growing up where you guys kind of didn't go deeper?
0: For sure. I I, I still do it today and it's something I'm trying to break out of. I mean, my girlfriend Ellie is incredible, but she knows that I go into times when I don't talk and she always will give me space, but then make sure I talk about it. She'll push me too, which is, which is incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's a thing with young guys. We don't talk about things that, you know, that, that we should, because we think it's a weakness or I don't know if that's the right word, but
2: it's also a habit thing. I know that's kind of discounting. I mean, I don't know if that's underselling it, but I also think it's a habit thing. Like you've got to break out of the habit of not asking the questions to sort of make it uncomfortable yeah. to get anywhere.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've got some friends who I've been really close to for like 10 years and how many deep conversations we've had, I could probably count on one hand, but I do remember the ones that we've had because they meant something to me and I think that's so important.
2: I wanted to ask you, I was reading an interview that you did, I think it might have been with Fox Footy, and you touched on being involved or being asked to be involved in a sexual assault case with a friend as a support person. Yeah, support person. Can you talk us through that time and what a support person is and your involvement in sort of like helping your friend through that?
0: Yeah. So I I wrote at the time actually that it was a friend and I've I've spoken since, but it was my girlfriend and I, I didn't write that at the time because it was early in our relationship and we didn't feel comfortable with it being known But she asked me after like our third date I think if I wanted to be a support person which meant that we did it in a remote room so we weren't in the courtroom with the person uh, with the judge or anything Um, it was through video link but I had to sit off to the side so she couldn't see me so she was looking at the webcam um, and I couldn't touch her, I couldn't do anything um, and I had to listen to her get cross-examined by this lawyer and it was it yeah it it was tough because the i didn't know how that process worked i didn't know how cross-examination worked but it was fucked Mm. like the questions he was asking and how he was asking we had to stop four or five times because she couldn't keep going and i kind of came away from that day being like something's not right here we shouldn't be getting here in the first place but the way we then handle this thing and and sexual assault cases is, is not right
1: so it sounds like this relationship and meeting Ellie was pretty formative in how you see the world now
0: yeah for sure I'd, I'd had girls talk to me before about their experiences and I had a girl two years before I met Ellie call me and she'd just been sexually assaulted and she was in a very dark dark place and I just sat on the phone with her for a couple of hours and but from then I don't think I learned much more um but meeting Ellie and, and her view on the world and the person she is, is, is helped me to become who I am. And in her own right, she's an incredible person. who's going to do so many great things. And I'm always telling her that she should write, she should do this because she's got so many great stories to tell. But for me to learn from, she's been great.
2: There was a great quote from that interview. I hope you don't mind me reading it back to you, but you said, I didn't grow up with sisters. I didn't grow up with many close female friends. I'd never thought about the actions of men towards women. That was the kind of eye opening moment for me. What was, I mean, apart from the fact the line of questioning from the lawyer was incredibly perhaps aggressive or uh, too forthcoming, what, what else was it about that time that changed your perspective so completely? Yeah,
0: even even the questions that they ask, it's like, what, are you, what were you wearing at the time? And then they try and turn that into something that was provoking it. And then I think back to when I was a 14, 15 year old boy. And we'd think that if a girl was wearing revealing clothes, you know, that, that she wanted sex or something like that. And it's where do these views come from and how do they become ingrained in a 15-year-old boy and how does the lawyer then use this as something in a court case? Um, So I took a step back and was like, there's there's something here that's that's weaving all these things together. And I then started thinking about what I'd done as a young man, what my friends were like, and seeing how it had affected the, the woman I loved more than anything in the world and other women as well. Yeah, I, I knew that, you know, something wasn't right.
1: Coming up after the break, what it's like to write publicly about feminism and toxic masculinity when you come from one of the country's most male-dominant institutions. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Where did the decision come from then to start speaking publicly about it? Because I think it's one thing to notice it and be able to call it out within yourself, but then it takes another leap entirely to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about this on a public stage. What is it about you that means you want to use your platform?
0: I, specifically me, like I get this feeling inside me where I have to like write something down and, and get it out there. Like certain, I don't write about everything. I only write about things that make me feel something inside And I'm aware that where I come from is that real traditional male perspective. And I'm still figuring this stuff out. I'm not perfect at this. I've got a long way to go still. But I think that as I'm learning, I can maybe help other guys who are feeling the same as me, who are uncertain or are trying to learn as well. I think that the perspective I have can help them in a way as well.
1: Is that difficult though? Because I think a lot of the time, if you're talking to quite a traditional Subset of people and try to quite a traditional culture in Mm. AFL footy. It might be that you're riling a lot of people up because I think what something happens is is that when we have these conversations, particularly about football culture, a lot of people get their back up because all of a sudden they're annoyed that someone's trying to disrupt the status quo. Yeah, is that something you feel that you might annoy some people who have had their way for so long?
0: Yeah, people aren't always going to agree with what you say, and I, I go on. I read all the comments on Twitter because. I've gone against saying like you're an idiot because you don't agree with me. I think I can learn something from people who don't agree with me. I think that if we all just think we're right all the time and we we're just you know polarizing the world a bit more, I feel if I feel like I'm disrupting the status quo, then I, I write it because I think that's important because it's something that's it's changing something or it's moving it in a new way that it needs to go.
2: What we find with the patriarchy is it tends to do as much damage for young men as it does for young women. And you mentioned before we jumped on the mics that you are currently writing a book, which is super exciting, about how those kinds of things might have stifled you as a kid growing up and how they've affected you to date. How did you feel trapped by those kinds of ideas?
0: I I am, yeah, I am writing a book at the moment that's part memoir, part kind of my view on the world now. And, yeah, you you think about what I went through what life was like during high school I went to an all boys school except for year 11 and 12 where it was co-ed and you think about what we talked about and and how it was always about girls and how it was like who was having sex and when a guy had sex he came in that week and he was more popular than he was before and you think about the way we ranked each other and how we used gay as a slur and if you were standing out from the crowd you were gay and there were guys in our grade who, who have come out since and who are gay and I wonder what it was like for them hearing that at the time um, yeah, and you think about the things that happens in a lot of male social circles and, and how it hurts a lot of people.
2: Do you think you would have been different as a kid if you realised a lot of this earlier, if the world let you realise a lot of this stuff earlier?
0: For sure. I, I've I've got a lot of like times in my life where I've done things I regret or when I, I didn't say something, when I feel like now I should have. But as a young man, you, you want to fit in and you don't want to be different and you... don't want to you know go against what the group is doing so a lot of times they stay quiet even though it's uncomfortable
2: do you think you would have chased football as much probably
0: not I think if I had have been more open to other things in the world and and expanded out of that bubble then I might not have ever played sport professionally I might have wanted to pursue something else and that's what I'm doing now because I have realized there's a lot more in the world than just you know sport
1: Talk us through the book writing. I mean, it's pretty incredible. You're still at university. You're in your early 20s and you're writing a book. How has that process gone? And how did it even come about?
0: Uh, It's funny how it came about. Um, I was doing a a panel with Clementine Ford. um, And Clementine's, like, lovely. She sat down with me and asked me some seriously, like, meaningful questions. And that was the first time we'd met. And she says I should get in touch with her publisher, Jane. And I didn't know how to find her, but I found her on LinkedIn. So I signed up for, like, a one-month membership on LinkedIn. <laughs>
1: Premium. Yeah,
0: yeah, But you get a one-month free trial because I wasn't going to pay 80 bucks for it. And then I sent her a direct message and said I'd like to meet up and talk about a book idea I had. And we did. She asked for a sample, and I sent her a piece. And, yeah, from there they were like, you should write this, and we'll publish it. So coming out, I think, next year, It's a, I love writing. It's what I feel like I was meant to do. So I'm really enjoying the whole process.
1: What was the piece that you sent her?
0: Ah. Uh, <laughs> I sent it the first chapter idea I have, and it's one of my nights out as a 19-year-old boy with my best friend at a local pub and kind of the antics we got up to that night, and it ended up with a guy breaking his hand. Yeah, there, there was a lot of things that went wrong that night, and I laughed at that story for so long and thought it was hilarious, but now I go back and I'm like, oh, shit, like, probably shouldn't have got to that point that it did.
1: In the that night kind of encapsulated a lot of problems with masculinity yeah yeah,
0: it it did and a lot of what I'm I'm writing is those honest accounts of what it was and what it looks like because I I read a lot of books on gender and a lot of times it's explaining like this is what masculinity is but I'm like someone should just show it and that's what I'm trying to do
2: it's so interesting to me that you've come this far I mean I imagine I, I, that came out completely wrong it's so interesting to me <laughs> that you. your perspective has changed so completely because I think not everybody's perspective would have changed in the same way yours did and I know we touched on before the fact that there was uh, the sexual assault case that changed things but were there other forces as well that came into play that made you really rethink things that wasn't just that one sort of snap you know change yeah uh,
0: geez. I I think I've always been open to learning and always been willing to admit when I'm wrong uh, which is something that I feel everyone should have because I, know, I think I said before we all like to think we're right all the time but we're not um, Yes we are <laughs> Except for you guys of course. <laughs> Except for women uh, Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes um, it's, it's, It hasn't been just a snap kind of thing I think it's been building for a few years now and whatever circumstances have transpired in my life and whatever I've been through has kind of led me to the point where I am now so it's yeah it's just been a gradual learning journey I guess
2: So much of your writing takes on the huge parts of, you know, Australian football culture and AFL culture, which also means calling out some pretty big names. I know we touched on Eddie Maguire before. I mean, it takes a certain kind of fearlessness, I think, to take on names that are so well established in an industry that's kind of hard to break or change. Where does that fearlessness come from? Or do you just not think about it when you're writing? Uh...
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think it's fearless. In a way, I still get nervous about the response. Like, I have a fear when I'm writing these things. I think all writers do. Um, But I I look at who I am and and I'm a white, straight male and all the biases that people normally have, they look at me and can they apply them to me? It's like, what are they going to critique me for here? And that kind of gives me the strength that, you know, if people who are critiqued for who they are not what they write can still say what they say, then far out. I can as well. I look at what Clementine Ford writes. I look at Bree Lee with her book Eggshell Skull mm. and all these people who have been through tough things and what they write. And I'm like, shit, I can, I can do something to help here. So I, I, yeah, I get fearlessness from, from people like that.
1: What do you think it will take for a gay AFL player to come out and say that he's gay? Because there are so many stories out there that there are, of course there will be, because think of how many hundreds of AFL players there are in Australia. It is... Probably statistically impossible that throughout the decades there has not been a single homosexual mm. gay AFL player. Why is that, and what do you think needs to change?
0: I think it's as much a thing in wider society as well, and a lot of the views that are held in in the entire world. AFL is a, a small subculture of that, and yes, yeah, it's, it's a very masculine environment. I know things are happening in the AFL. There's pride round now. I know at the Swans we did a lot as well. I think we had a float in the Mardi Gras. We've been doing that for a few years now. So. The views at the Swans were, were really accepting and open. I think it's just everyone continuing to think along those lines and be like, we don't care if you're gay, you're straight. We don't care if... Just being more open-minded to people who are involved in the game.
2: No one wants to be the first either.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think there'll the media is obviously going to turn it into something whatever it is
2: they'll absolutely turn it yeah. into something that's bigger than it is and all you kind of want it to be is a blip like you want someone to do yeah. it and then everybody to ignore it but I can't imagine it happening like that
1: well I think it's easier now that shows like the footy show aren't around because I think the footy show was pretty disgusting yeah. in its treatment even of its own AFL players but also of anyone who dared to stick their neck out like Caroline Wilson for mm. example but maybe now that shows like that aren't around it would be easier
0: yeah with with less kind of dribble commentary i guess um yeah i i hope that people don't care how they're viewed for coming out but the media is going to do what it's going to do and i think as a teammate if i had a, a guy i played with come out as gay i'd treat them the same i'd i'd say like i'm proud of you or like i'm here for you, or whatever because i think that's necessary but then you you wouldn't treat them any differently after that
2: no you just let it go yeah when we're talking about how you are occasionally calling out a culture that you were so embedded in for so long, do people ever reach out to you? Do the characters like Dane Swan or Annie Maguire ever get in touch with you? Do players ever t- touch base with you in a way that says, hey, I've experienced all of these things too, but I don't even know who to talk to?
0: I had, um, funny, on the, on the way, I still play local footy just just for fun with a few mates. Um, and I had a guy come up to me after the game from Miller team and say he was reading everything I'm doing and he was really enjoying it so to me that means so much because that's the kind of person I I want to read what I'm writing I have teammates who send me my articles and say they've read them um, which is awesome I I think that that's what I'm hoping for Um, yeah the more guys I know that can relate to what I'm doing and can speak up and use their voice too then the better
1: it kind of sounds like you're you're doing things in a really good way and that you're not just trying to appeal to the one side of politics that might agree with you. You're trying to appeal to both so that we can mm. have an open discussion. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, I, I am very conscious of, even if I write an article and I get a lot of positive feedback, I'm very aware that that's not the reality of it. Like Twitter, whatever, Facebook, it's it's feed you the algorithm. I some very kind of like sci-fi, political <laughs> theory here, whatever. Um Yeah, I always look for the negative responses and the positive responses and and pit them against each other and be like, well, what's the actual response here?
1: Hmm. We touched on uh, perhaps homophobia before, but what about racism? Do you think racism is still a problem in the game and what do you think needs to be done to change it?
0: Yeah, racism is still a problem in in Australian sport. I think there's been a few incidents this year in the AFL. I saw an article from uh, the NRL last night about Latrell Mitchell, a Sydney Roosters player who's been experiencing some online hatred as well. racism's there and in sport i think it gets dismissed because people are like oh we do everyone or we do this to everyone we don't treat people differently but the bias is there um and sports a vehicle i think to change things as well you can see how sport can bring people together and how it puts a lot of people on a level playing field so i think sport's really important to actually you know help overcome those issues mm-hmm.
2: What I think is so interesting about the work that you do is I wonder if a lot of people who would be in a similar position who is, you know, like maybe a white, male, straight white straight male (laughs) often don't feel comfortable saying the things that you say because sometimes they don't feel like they have a place to or that there's Mm. not space for them what would you say to people like that who feel like maybe oh i don't want to say this because i don't know if it's the right thing or i don't want to take space in somebody else's conversation
0: to be honest that's something i was very aware of at the start and i I made sure i read a hell of a lot before because i didn't want to just add a meaningless opinion um i read so much like feminist literature beforehand because I wanted to have an actual opinion that was, you know, encompassed both sides as well and I I make sure to always give credit to the females as well who I've read because I think it's important. Um, The main thing to do is, I think, is to listen to start with and to read and listen to things you wouldn't normally because there's a whole other perspective on the world that I wasn't aware of and until I started learning about that, I don't think my opinion would have really done anything.
2: What's your end game with this work? I know it's pretty early to ask that question. But what, Jeez, i just started. What do you, <laughs> <laughs> Where will you be in 25 years? Uh, I've just spoiled it. Yeah. What do you want most out of the writing that you do? I mean, you're writing for incredibly mainstream publications. I mean, the SMH is, mm. is pretty mainstream, about as mainstream as it gets. What yeah. do you want for people to think about or feel when they're reading your stuff? Uh,
0: I kind of hope in like 10 years I do don't have to write this stuff anymore I think the end game is for it to be irrelevant um,
1: or oh, obvious yeah like, yeah, of course. yeah
0: exactly uh, I don't know if in like the future I can look back and be like the things I wrote if people come up to me and say hey I read your piece and it really did something for me at that time and now I'm doing this then that's that's something I'd look forward to
1: who do you want to buy your book young men mm-hmm. I
0: really want young men to read it um, I think Women as well should enjoy it um, because it's maybe something that they've always wondered what it was like in those circles and this is giving the insight. Um, Yeah, I I hope that everyone reads it, but especially I want, you know, guys like me to read it.
2: Has having female friendships been pivotal in your changing perspective? Like, has your newfound appreciation for maybe how toxic masculinity has affected your life helped you form strong female friendships?
0: Yeah, for sure. I, When I was at the football club, like I spent every day with 45 other guys mm. and I think the extent of hanging out with girls would have been if there was a few of the girlfriends around and that was it. Now I go to uni and I I'm, have friends in my class who are girls. Um, some people I know in the music scene I've, I've become really close with who are females as well. And it's super important because it, it's like don't just hang out with people who are the same as you've had the same upbringing issue, who share the same worldview, like get out of the bubble. Um, and yeah, the, the friendships with women I've developed really help that.
1: What's next for you after the book? What do you have your sights set on? I mean, you've been doing some talking with Clementine Ford, as you said, but mm. is it more stuff like that?
0: Yeah. I, I, think I'll see how the book reaction goes. I'd love to keep writing. Um, I'd love to do follow-ups on it. Uh, I really want to, I know it's kind of irrelevant to the point, but I really want to travel. I haven't done much traveling, so I'd, I'd like to see how the rest of the world is, um, just so I can get some more perspective on why Australia is the way it is or how Australia is. Mm.
2: Um, it's interesting as a young person that you tend to have so much perspective when you feel like you haven't done enough traveling.
0: Yeah, I I, I haven't done Europe, I haven't been to America, I haven't been to South America, I've purely been to kind of places in asia and mainly for footy trips mm-hmm. um which weren't very kind of like culturally expansive <laughs> we literally spiritually s- nourishing trips. yeah we went <laughs> and sat in bali we went and sat in like an australian themed pub one time in hong kong for a week straight and that was it um, yeah I, the next step for me i think is getting out of kind of the geographic bubble i'm in getting out of australia and seeing how the rest of the world works
1: where would you go first
0: Europe. I really want to do Europe. My best friend from high school is over there at the moment and he's having a great time. So, yeah, hopefully eventually I can I can go over there.
2: What does success look like to you with all of this in mind?
0: Yeah, I I I've gotten away from like concrete ideas of success and setting goals because a lot of the time I failed in what I was setting out and I didn't want to feel worse because I'd failed. Um Was
2: that when it came to sport? Well,
0: it's it's everything. Like if I set out to write 2000 words today and I don't do that I don't want to feel like a failure because I've, I've tried for me success is every I guess every night I go to sleep and I'm I'm different to I was when I woke up that morning like I've, I've learned something I've done something even if I've done nothing at all something in me has changed that day and I've grown as a person um, I think that's more important than setting a, a goal or having an, an end point
1: and thank you so much for coming on. I, for one, hope all of our listeners go out and buy your book, not just for themselves, but
2: probably for their partners and the men in their lives. I'll be buying it for the men in my life <laughs> if they're listening. But thank you. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. And, and I think I, I said before, I think there's such a sense that if you're a straight white man that you can't have these conversations and I think you are the perfect example that you can have these conversations and be such a huge and important part of the conversation. You just need to do it in a thoughtful way, which you do. Thank,
1: thank you, you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Brandon Jack. If you loved hearing from Brandon, follow him on Instagram at Brandon Jack. That's Jack with two Ks. As for us, we are at Shameless Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not go back through our feed and listen to our other In Conversation apps? We also interviewed writers like Jamila Rizvi and Carly Finlay earlier in the year. I will pop the links to the chats with them in our show notes we will be back in your ears on monday guys until then keep your fingers and toes crossed for tigers to win on saturday (laughs) bye Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louie Hanson here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo. Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears.
0: That is so exciting. What a time to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us.
1: It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.